Hello, I'm Shell of Lionheart's Fitness. If you don't know about us by now, please check out our website, lionheartsfitness.com. Free fitness for all youth, particularly obstacle course racing. Right now, here is your podcast, I Am Spartan Podcast, with our favorite host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. Have you checked out the show's sponsor yet? Do me a huge favor and go and check out monkeygrip.com. They make these cool rope attachments that go around your pull-up bar, and they also go around dumbbells, too. So you can max out your pull-ups and then slip them off of the pull-up bar and put them on the dumbbells and do farmer's carries to max out your grip even further. They also make a monkey fist type attachment that goes around the pull-up bar and the dumbbells the same way. They also have some liquid chalk and who doesn't need a little extra liquid chalk in their life? But go and check them out at monkeygrip.com and follow them on monkeygrip on Instagram too. Thanks. On this episode, Jessica Wong tells us about all the cool stuff she's done this year. She got her first Savage Race Pro Podium in Charleston. She went to Belgium for the World Obstacle OCR World Championships. And my personal favorite, she did her first Spartan Ultra at Newberry, Carolina about, what is that, a month ago. And she placed first place in her age group. And it was her first Ultra, her first time ever going that long in a race ever which was a very cool story. We go all over those details. Um, we had a little Wi-Fi issue, so we were only doing audio. So we there was probably a couple of times we were trying to talk over each other, but y'all are probably used to that for when I used to record an audio only anyway. So here's the interview with Jessica Wong. Sweet. Got it. Jessica Wong, how are you doing today? I am. I'm pretty good considering it's only Tuesday. I know, right? It seems like it's later in the week to me as well. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long one, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, Jessica, you've done a bunch of amazing stuff this year, but before we get into all that, I want the people to understand who Jessica Wong is. So where are you from? What do you do for work? Tell us the, 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 the stuff that people might not know about you. <laughs> um, I am, I was born in California, but I've always considered myself a Southern girl because I was mostly raised in Georgia or around the Southeast. So, uh, yeah, I guess there's not really a place that I am from necessarily. I moved a lot when I was young. I've moved a lot in my adult life. I'm currently in South Carolina. Um, love it here. I love this weather. I love the Southern culture for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hear you there. Where did you live at in Georgia? I, I have family that is outside of Columbus. I lived myself in Alpharetta in coming in Covington. So kind of all over the place. My sister still lives out near, out near Canton. Mm. Um, so I go out there and visit her a good bit. So it's like north, northeast or northwest of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do for work? I'm actually the nursing supervisor at my veterinary home. 
I have been a nurse for 13 years now. Wow. That sounds like an important job. I bet it's got a lot of headache to it, huh? Oh, it's it's got a lot of headache to it. That's why we schedule our interview so late in the evening, because I'm like, I'm not sure when I'm going to get off of work. It's whenever things are done and people stop calling. <laughs> mm. So what is like, I mean, I, I already know that you're an animal lover because I see you with your dogs at some races um, too, but what is like the best part about your job? Um, the best part of my job is getting to, is knowing at the end of the day that I have made lives better for some of these animals that I have come in contact with. Even um, though some of their the, owners are shitting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 100%. <laughs> Um, I've always said that I am not a big people person and I have people that come in all the time and they're like, I just love animals. I'm more of a people person. And I'm like, well, the downside is that every single one of these animals comes in with people. <laughs> right. Exactly. But uh, no, I love, I love that my job changes every day because I work in small animal general practice. So that means I work pretty much specifically with dogs and cats and the average day-to-day -day stuff um but at the same time something's it's always different you know we're seeing different cases all day i'm seeing different types of animals and backgrounds and people and things like that and i enjoy i enjoy the balance between consistency and the novel from day to day how many pets do you have <laughs> i currently have my three permanent dogs and i say that because i do a lot of foster work I have two personal cats. I have a couple of my ball pythons still. And uh, that's it for right now. And the dogs you have are all big dogs too, right? Yeah. Um, I actually specialize in behaviorism. And I work specifically with aggression cases in mastiffs and working breeds. So I work with Cane Corso Rescue, which is the Italian coursing mastiffs. I, it's a nationwide rescue, and I, I work with them a lot over the past 10 years, honestly. I think I'm on foster number 51. Oh, wow. But uh, I, take, I take their aggression cases, and uh, my job is to try and rehab it. If I think I can safely rehab it, I do so, and then we adopt them back out. And unfortunately, in some cases, if I get something that for one reason or another, I don't think can be safely rehabbed, they either stay with me, which is how I have these dogs, or uh, it's my job as a veterinary professional to humanely euthanize. Now, you know, this is one thing that, you know, because I live by myself and I always, you know, I, I used to have a dog, you know, before when I was married and we got divorced and she took the dog and I've th always thought about getting another dog, but I'm always traveling. And, you know, especially like now, you know, we go to these races all the time and it's an inconvenience when you have a pet because you yeah. either have to board it or you have to have somebody to, you know, look after it for you. And, you know, and you go to a lot of races. So how do you end up usually having to deal with that? Uh, it is definitely a pain, and I sympathize with people who have dogs that have to board them as frequently as they do. Um, and my dogs especially are all no talk, no touch, no eye contact whatsoever. They are not allowed to be interacted with outside of the household. They are particularly dangerous dogs. My two males in particular, one of them is formally trained for personal protection um, in the process of that anyway. 
And so other people outside of the house are not safe handling them. Mm. I'm fortunate enough to have a boarding facility at my hospital. So my dogs can board there in an area where they can be closed out one side of a run or the other. So people can feed water, clean kennels and whatnot, and not ever have to interact with the dog directly. Right. Um, so I'm very glad that I have that because that's a safe option for me. But honestly, a lot of the time when I travel, my dogs come with me. If I camp and it's not hot weather, my dogs go with me. We'll stay in the car when I race and then I'm back with them. If it's hot weather, then I plan on getting an Airbnb or a hotel that is pet friendly and they stay there. And then they're pretty much just there while I race. And then I go back and get them and let them out. And most of the time they do my shakeout runs with me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to mess with you while you're running then, huh? No, that's all. Like I've gotten probably really complacent, honestly, because I don't worry about it a whole lot. I have three of them. They all run with me. They've all traveled with me. So I don't really think much of it. I always would love to have that as a dog that I could run with, but Every single dog I've ever had, you know, it was just not a great leash walking dog. And I'm sure there's some science to making them do better, but I never had any luck with that. Oh, well, no, I understand that. As somebody who specializes in behaviorism and training, I come across it all the time. <laughs> but anyway, enough pet talk. Tell us a little bit about your background in sports. You know, um, I saw some pictures on your Facebook where you were riding some horses and stuff and um, but I mean, did you do anything else before you kind of just found your way into OCR? Oh, honestly, no, I was homeschooled uh, for most of my life. So my mother made sure that I got to try a whole bunch of sports and do just about everything because she kept me busy. I was a hyperactive child. So she let me try a little bit of most sports, you know, like soccer and basketball and ballet and gymnastics. Uh, I started horseback riding when I was four and I have continued to do that my entire life. I actually just lost my last horse last oh. year. So I've had horses or ridden horses. I still ride at the barn where I used to board my horse my whole life. I've just always wanted to be active and I've been that restless person that couldn't sit still. Um, but I never really focused on one thing in particular. I did equestrian vaulting for a while, which is gymnastics on horseback. Mm. <laughs> um, and so one of the, my father, my father is a, was a professional martial artist for many years. And he and I are not very close anymore. But growing up, like, I always thought that was the coolest thing, you know, that my father could do these incredible things with his body and these incredible feats of strength and was so self-assured and all of that. And I was like, I want to be like that one day. But you know, when you're a kid, you just run around in circles and you dig holes and you scream a lot. And that was huh. for sure me like a rug rat. <laughs> so, uh, no, I didn't have a specific focus. I had heard about mud runs probably back in like 2010 to 2012 everybody talking about because that was when they really started gaining some traction and people were like oh they sound crazy this sounds so hard and I was like oh I have to do this one day I'm probably because mm. I was not really a runner about going to the gym or working out but uh it took until 2015 for me to try my first one and I was instantly hooked I was terrible at it it was a rugged maniac 
it took me like two hours to finish. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure I had cotton socks on, knee-high cotton <laughs> socks and hiking shoes. Yeah, but uh, no, I just needed to find something to do with my body all the time. And OCR was just the perfect thing for it because I feel like as an adult, I'm sure I like, I know plenty of people in this field have said this, but as an adult, there aren't a lot of, unless you're an elite athlete, or you're playing backyard sports on the holidays, there aren't a whole lot of big sporting events that you can get involved in as an athlete and an adult. It's it's true, really. I mean, I mean, of of course you could just go do road runs, you know, a lot of people do that and they get into it. And but to me, that's just, you know, it's just a road run. You go and do it, and you may have some friends there, you may not. But to me, the road running is, you know, I'm I'm not trying to diss on it, but it just seems like you go there, you may talk to some people before the race starts, then everybody puts their headphones in, runs the race, hangs out a little bit and goes home. And it just seems like OCR is just so much better than that because there's this huge community behind it. And it's like, you know, me and you, for instance, we run the competitive field, so we've made so many friends in it. And a lot of times it doesn't matter where you go to a race, you're going to see somebody that you know, because we all enjoy doing this competitive heat and, and we always see somebody we know. And we always have just a fun time hanging out in the community. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like the friends and connections that I have made through OCR are unlike anything else. And I don't, I don't feel like road runners, not dissing road runners at all. I know plenty of people who do it, but like, it's not the same. You don't go up, you don't see road runners and you're like, oh man, you run races. Like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Like it's, it's not quite the same mindset, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a stagnant race. I mean, and I, I mean, and that's for, I mean, I guess worst words maybe because it's you start the race you run and i mean besides maybe seeing something or you hitting a pr you know that you know there's not much excitement there unless it's the excitement of maybe yeah yeah i kicked out kicked this guy at the end but you know i mean that's you know that that's it the, i mean the road's the road and it's the same yeah I don't know. I like the, I like the dynamic aspect of OCR. I like I getting dirty. I like not knowing what might happen. I like all of the different things you get to do. Like I, I get bored running, honestly. <laughs> me too. And, and, and to me, I, I enjoy trail running better because you're out in the woods. It's nature. It's not a stagnant running form, but in that sense too, like if you go and do like say a 50k trail race, I find myself getting bored. I love the fact about obstacle races is, is you have that obstacle to break up the monotony and it puts a sense of adventure into the race besides just running, just running in the woods. You know, it yep, just, absolutely. it just, it's just more fun. Yeah, because like if you're running, if you're not having to watch your feet all the time and not having to think about what's coming up next, my mind will just wander and I'll think of like a hundred other things that I need to be doing or, oh, don't forget to do this. And then I get distracted and then I'm like, I don't know, I don't have time to be running right now. I need to be doing this. But mm. even on a trail run, trail run adds that extra level of difficulty. Hey, don't trip on a route. Hey, don't step in a hole. Hey, this is Sandy. 
pay attention to where you're moving your feet, pay attention to how you're breathing. Hmm. How it so, helps keep me after, occupied. So after you finished your first rugged maniac, how did you feel and what made you decide to do another race? Oh, I was exhausted. I was gross. And I think I'd chugged two beers beforehand because I was kind of nervous. <laughs> and uh, so I was like a little tipsy because it was 10 a.m. Um, and I, of course, drank them on an empty stomach because I was too nervous to eat anything before this race. Um, so I was a little tipsy and I was super tired and I was super gross. And I was like, that was the best time I could have ever had. I bet I could run it faster. Hmm. And that was the start of it. <laughs> as soon as I was like, I bet I could do that better. I'm too much of a competitive person. I think my buddy Michael did the same thing. He was, he he did the first Spartan race was in Conyers and he drank the free beers before the race. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> so y'all definitely have that in common for sure. Okay. No, so Yeah. Nobody was watching me. That's the other problem with like being an adult at events like this. Like you got to figure it out on your own. So you drink went... it beer first didn't help. So did you go to the race by yourself and did it by yourself? I went, so one of the vets at my hospital, she said she'd always wanted to do one. She'd never done one before either. So I went with her and she ran it with me. We had a great time. Did she drink before the race too? Yeah, she did. I don't think she (laughs) races anymore. (laughs) She doesn't work with us anymore. She now lives somewhere in Atlanta too, apparently. But, uh. Yeah, no, I think I think she did a handful of them and that was enough for her. It, it fulfilled what she needed. All right. Um, so if anybody listens is listening to this, best piece of advice, don't drink before the race. Please don't drink before the race. Drink Just drink some water. Yeah, drink water. Still going to have a good time and nothing that bad is going to happen to you out there. That's right. So you've had a pretty good year, you know, and I noticed that you got your first Savage Pro podium this year. Oh, yeah, that was that was this year. That was incredible, man. Um, I have been super blessed. What race was that at? That was in Charleston. Charleston. Yep. So, of course, it was not part of the Pro Series this year that I was trying to chase. (laughs) But, uh. That was in Charleston in April, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, that was absolutely outstanding. I don't feel like I've been in this sport long enough to say that I've been chasing it forever, but it feels like forever when you race as often as we do and you have mm-hmm. so many opportunities to try and fall a little bit short. And overall podium didn't seem like something that was quite feasible for me. And uh, my running was feeling strong that day. I was pushing it with a couple of girls and they had those two rigs or like they had, what was it? I think it was the give and take that's new this year mm-hmm. Back with their rig right at the finish line. And uh, I came up to it and Rachel Waters, who's a really good friend of mine, Rachel Waters was standing there at give and take. And she was like, Hey, you is finish this and this is your savage podium and i was like in way but i'd gotten there with i think it was laura laura carnival mm-hmm. i've probably just butchered her name i hope she doesn't hear this and hate me <laughs> um <laughs> but we'd battled it out for like the last half to three quarter mile and we kind of came up to give and take right around the same time 
And uh, Rachel's shouting that at me. So of course I'm like trying to get my heart rate down and I'm trying to like not mess up this obstacle. And she's shouting, you can make your savage podium here. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to hard. And it took me like three or four attempts to get that dowel on give and take. And she's just shouting and she's cheering me hard. And I'm like, I'm trying so hard, Rachel. I'm really trying. <laughs> And I made it through that and I made it through that rig, man. And I think I even posted the picture on my Instagram that they, uh, they caught after I finished that rig. I started crying as soon as I hit the ground. Like I knew that I was making, it was third place and I knew that I was making podium. And as soon as my feet hit the ground from the rig, I just started bawling. Mm. And I crossed that finish line with the best sense of accomplishment. I... That had always, of course, that had been a goal for forever to make an overall podium. But I, you know, it never feels like it's quite real until it happens. And it was just, it was an incredible moment. My coach was there. Uh, like Heather Galnick is one of, is my OCR coach. And she was there. She was racing with me and she'd gotten caught at the eight foot wall, I think it was. And I managed to pass her in that race because of that wall. I don't even know how I managed that. But she was there. My teammates were there. Taylor Cedeno was there. Taylor, oh gosh, I can't even remember my other friend Taylor's last name. That's awful. Hmm. But like, what an incredible moment to get to share with my friends. Like, I'll never forget that one. And that's awesome, Rachel, cheering you on to come across the finish line too, right? Oh, dude, that was that was absolutely amazing. I remember watching Rachel Waters in races and being like, that's one of my my inspirations that person you put it up on a pedestal like your famous athletes and things like that and one getting to be friends with her is the coolest thing ever but like I'm still starstruck by her all the time and like her cheering me on personally and crying and celebrating with me at the finish line was an unreal moment I bet that was a cool moment because you've raced a ton of Savage races, I know, because it seems like every time Savage has a post or has a video or something, you're always in it at the start line. So I know that had to have been just an amazing achievement for you. Oh, yeah, man. Like like I said, I'm never going to forget that. Like everything about it was just absolutely perfect. And weren't you in the top 10 of the series this year, too? I So I was, and that was going to be the series is what I was going to pursue this year. I ended up... For smaller, unrelated things, I ended up in the hospital twice this year, mm. and both of them pro events, and I couldn't make. It was the week of Merritt and the week of Chicago, and I was at Bonnaroo. I was at Bonnaroo. So I missed too many of the mandatory events because I was in the hospital and couldn't make them up. So I got dropped from the series. Mm super bummed about that but hopefully hopefully next year last year i was last year i think i made i think i was ninth ninth out of nine but i'm still counting it <laughs> maybe that's what i'm thinking of yeah last year last year i was number nine and this year i was through the first few events and then you know i missed too many so well, that's still pretty badass so but the main thing is, is that third place podium, you know, I mean, I would love to get a savage podium. I haven't done a lot of savage races. I, because I do so many Spartans, you know, it, there's only a couple of savages that I usually can attend. And I usually only go to one and 
I've gotten to where I'm so tired of driving across Atlanta and going through all that traffic. I just about don't even do that one anymore. Oh, I don't blame you. Atlanta traffic is absolutely the worst. I swear it feels like it gets worse every time I drive through there. Uh-huh. And then now next year I was looking at the calendar and pretty much every I'm waiting for Savage to announce how their pro series is going to be set up next year, how it's going to be structured. Mm-hmm. But most, if not all of the Savage events that I would normally attend or that have historically been in their pro series the last two years are the same weekend as Spartan races in yeah, the Southeast. Man. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Every single one. So it makes you wonder, like, who is doing this schedule to, is it somebody doing this to blackball the other race or is it just an, you know, an... And I've always wondered that because I'm like, if like, I mean, me, for example, and many of my friends, I'm sure you and Annie and plenty of these people, if you put them even on back to back weekends, we'd probably go to all of them. Mm -hmm. So all that's happening is you're not you're not winning out. You're just splitting everybody's attention. Yeah. I mean, you're going to you're you're going to lose money both races are going to lose money because of that when you schedule races close together on the same weekend so like like, i'm not obviously on the business side of it but i know it has a lot to do with you know when they can get the venues and things like that Mm -hmm. i feel just a little bit of foresight could help the whole sport out injured because i mean this isn't about one brand against the other is this not about like the sport itself and its community don't we want to grow the sport as a whole right well it's like that big you know uh infinity race that's going to be in alula uh saudi arabia it's the same weekend as jacksonville for the national series race it's exact same weekend i didn't even realize that that's awful yeah show wheels show wheels well you know and then spartan has really focused a lot of like a lot of their attention on the national series for making it age group specific. So, I mean, not that age group athletes aren't going to be running in Alula, but I guess their reasoning was that if your top athletes aren't going to run age group centric races, like the national series, then they're just going to take them somewhere else, I guess. I think it's kind of cool that they only made three races, you know, and it not be this big five series race ordeal. You know what I mean? I I think that that makes it a a little easier too um yeah because I'm, that way if you want to focus on it it's three trips you don't have to do five like right i mean it kind of it, I, I almost would be cool if it was like maybe four races and you only had to do two i think yeah. that would be cool because that way you know that way they could put one race in the northeast and that way they would pretty much have a race on the four corners of the united states Right, and give everybody the opportunity to get to a fair number of them. Yeah, because there's a lot of people in the Northeast that, you know, run Spartan, and right now they're at a disadvantage because they got to fly to three races unless they just love to ride in the car. Exactly. And who has the money for that right now? Yeah, for real. I mean, gas and flights are both expensive right now, that's for sure. Yeah, that's one of my big things. It's like, I have to be able to drive there. And unless it's a series or it's really going to help me in some way, I have to make real because I work. Because if you got to drive, 
you need the day before, you need the day after. If it's a Spartan race, you know, if you want to race both days, then you got to take the Monday also so that you can drive back then. And it's, you know. It's true. And that's why <laughs> And everybody always says, why do all you run as, as Spartan races? Well, here's the thing. I can buy that pass. That saves me money. Mm -hmm. And I can get the most out of Spartan because there's a bunch of drivable races from where I live that, I can yep. drive to and just get more OCR from a buck than I can if I was, because if I was to buy a tough motor pass, there's not as many tough motors I can drive to as, you know, as I can Spartan. So that's why I always go Spartan. They just, they hold, I mean, they just got more races, more venues, and it's just easier to get more OCR for your buck. You know? Yeah. Because the same way when I look at it, I'm like, well, there's, if I want to race Spartan, I can drive six hours in any direction, probably hit six or seven Spartan races mm -hmm. pretty easy. I mean, Savage Race, not a whole lot worse, a little bit further out, but I mean, I can get to a lot of Savage Races too. But I mean, you start talking anything outside of West Virginia, Orlando, outside of that bubble, that's uh, it's a little iffy there. But I would rather race a lot more Savage Races. I prefer their format. I like their a little bit better like i like their community a little bit more but it it's convenience spartans usually closer <laughs> yeah um so tell us about the um uh, the belgium ocr world championships you went to how was that trip i uh that was incredible yeah i've never been to europe before so this was a great opportunity to do something that i really love on a really cool scale to get to be a part of hopefully the beginning of something really cool. So they're trying to, you know, honestly, if I told you I fully understood it, I would be lying, hmm. but they're trying to, trying to organize a world, one world championship event that is now associated with the UIPM, which is the organization that oversees the Olympic pentathlon. Um, how that will affect the future of the sport you know everybody's like olympic dreams are now real i don't really know you know i don't know what's necessarily going to come of it but it was really exciting to get to be a part of a national team to go to an event like that to compete on that scale in a new place and get to be a part of the first official team usa I suppose we could call it. Um, the European, the European race was super great. I think they had more. I appreciated that they had more grip obstacles. I like the ninja style rigs and things like that, mostly because that's the whole reason I got into OCR was to do fun rigs and climb on stuff. Mm. We got to do chain carries which I thought was cool. I don't know why we don't do chain carries in the United States. I thought that was great. So they were supposed to do one at Conyers in the beast and they had a last minute change. And I don't remember why, but it, I remember Garfield telling me that they changed at the last minute. There was not going to be a chain carry there. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a, I wonder if that's a logistics thing or a 
safety thing or I don't know. I'd like to see it too. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought they were way easier to carry than uh some of our pancake sandbags. <laughs> right. Well I struggled with this so bad. What I would like to see is is a, a unique carry because the bucket carry was that unique carry until they put a lid on it and said you could carry it on your shoulder. I wish they would go back to making us front load carry those buckets again, because it made it a unique obstacle. And if you didn't have a strong back, that bucket would tear your ass up before you set it down, especially on the mountain courses. So I wish they would go back I remember that. It was, and now that I got into more OCR, physical shape I'm like I could probably handle that but uh I remember how much I hated having to carry it in front of me mm-hmm. <laughs> um whoa so now it's just a nor- another yeah, no I agree I, the the again like I said earlier like the dynamics of the sport or what I really enjoy so unpredictable obstacles things that are a little more challenging things that require strategy on the pair of heavy carries i think those are those are all things that i would really like to see more of in ocr and while i know savage race now i don't race a whole lot of other brands can't speak to them i know there are a lot of smaller brands that do really cool stuff but like i feel like spartan race has really just become kind of predictable like all of name for like three years and i mean like all of the weights which i mean i know you have to standardize weights but like the weights for everything are the same the rigs are the same things like that and i'm like i want to see some new obstacles which is going to belgium was because you know we had stuff from European companies and things like that we'd never seen before, like things with like UFO grips and different kind of cone shaped grips and spinning wheels and stuff like that. And then that was super cool. How hard was those races? Um, I would definitely say more difficult because of the novelty factor. So, of course, a lot of obstacles that like we've never or i haven't seen out here um that you had to see for the first time on course and it had a a pseudo it was mandatory completion so it was a little complicated how they did it so what happened was at the beginning of the race you got three three bands and for the race you they single attempt obstacles or they had a list they had a list that was released beforehand of which obstacles were single attempt and which were multi attempts. All of your hanging slash grip obstacles were single attempt. So if you get on, you slip off, you don't get to retry it. You have to give up a band. Hmm. And so you only got had those three bands for the entire race. Now at the end, and again, it got kind of complicated, so I'm not sure if these are rules that are going to stick forever or if this was just something they were trying out so at the very end of the course if you if you lost one or two bands there was a little penalty loop where you had to roll a keg 
or carry the keg, whatever. The keg just had to be carried through the course or moved through this penalty course, kind of like a heavy carry, hmm. in order to cross the finish line. Now, if you lost all three of your bands, then you were pretty much, you were considered non-complete, right? So kind of like Savage Race, if you would give up your band, you're non-complete. Except if you lost all three of your bands, you were non-complete, right? Mm -hmm. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. There you go. No, it was, <laughs> no, my whole app froze for some reason. I'm not uh -oh. sure why. Great. All right. So there we go. What was the last thing you heard? Uh, you said like, if you were, you could, you were considered uh non-complete if you had to give up all three of your bands. Okay. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yes. Um, how it's a, a little convoluted, but it made sense in practice. Uh, the 3k was Friday. The 15k was Saturday and I got through. So through the 3k, I slipped off two obstacles like silly little things, gave up my bands, was so mad. And I got to one of the final difficult rigs, which had a, you know, those dip bars, mm -hmm. stiff armed down them, except they were both, they were suspended. Ooh. So they were free swinging. And that was the very start of like this 50 foot long rig. Oh, wow. Yeah, you had to go from these dip bars to a rope. So the transition right there alone was also difficult. And then it was probably another 35 to 40 feet of hanging stuff. Wow. And I think that thing probably took 75% of the bands all weekend. Jeez. It was those like suspended dip walks that were so wobbly because I've never done anything like that. Mm. And I lost a band there both days but so my 3k on friday i lost all three of my bands and i was crying <laughs> crying by the time i came around the corner because you know you like get to something like that and you like i felt like i had just let myself down i let the team down i let everybody down that helped me get out there because i had so many people that helped me out and supported me and cheered me on and i was like i'm gonna come out here and i'm gonna be an embarrassment and this <laughs> is the worst and then um corrected my mistakes from these little obstacles that we had never seen before and managed to make top 20 on saturday in the 15k awesome so that was that was a, a big redemption moment i bet that um, felt good for sure oh yeah because then you feel like okay wait never mind maybe i maybe i'm doing okay and then I got off on this tangent about the uh, the band system, and I lost track of where I was going with it. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm scatterbrained all the time. Uh, it's me too. Me too. So I I know you had you took a bunch of pictures because I saw them there. It looked like y'all had a great time there. Um, oh yeah. So one of the main reasons why I wanted to interview you is because you just did your first ultra at Newberry, and you placed first place in your age group. And I think you were second overall of all of the females in age group, right? Yeah, second overall female in age group. Um, Janine came in first 10 minutes ahead of me. Wow. Shame so her at that point. That had to have felt pretty awesome. That definitely was. Um, like I said, this whole year I've just been, I've honestly been really blessed all of these firsts and all of these exciting things. Um, I said I was going to take a whole off season after Belgium. Hmm. And then of course it took me maybe a month and I was like, oh, 
time and I don't have any races on my schedule. So like maybe now would be a good time to try something new. That's restless again. So when you decided that you were going to sign up for the ultra, did you have like a game plan on how you were going to train and get ready for it? Or were you just business as usual and just see what sticks? It was pretty much a see what sticks. Sorry to my coach who was probably listening and is shaking her head and is like, no, that's not, that's not how we prepare ourselves, Jessica. I know I have never done an ultra. I've never run that far in my life. Did she give you workouts to prepare for this race or did you not even tell her you were doing it? Um, I didn't really tell anybody I was doing it early on because I was either one scared that I would chicken out or two afraid that I would suck terribly at it. And everybody would be like, oh, wow, it's because you you really weren't ready for that, were you? And I would be like, no, I was not ready for it. So. So what was your strategy going into this race? Um, my best friend, Bucci, actually her name is Amanda. Um, but my best friend has always done my athletic stuff with me. We always challenge each other. We work out together, blah, blah, blah. And she did her first 50 K. I want to say it was this year. It may have been last year, but she's done two trail 50 Ks now. And she trained hard for them. And she, you know, she does all the running and the mileage and blah, blah, Mm. blah, and the strength training, all of that. And she was like, we well, have to do one with me one day. And I was like, she's always beat me at everything. And I was like, no, I got to do this by myself first. So that when I look really bad, it's not right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so I said that I would sign up for this ultra. When I saw this ultra on the schedule, I was like, all right, you got some time. You got some downtime in the off season. If it really hurts, you have time to recover. You know, just go for it. And the longest I've ever, the longest distance I've ever run in my life leading up to that was 15 miles. Wow. And it was, it was, uh, the West Virginia beast in 2019. I've run other beasts since then, but that's the one that was 15 miles. (laughs) Right. So what was your mileage like leading up to this race? Like, do you know, or is it just one of those things you just go out and just run and not really keep up with it? Um, so my long distance runs, when I do them, I run with my dogs mm-hmm. all the time. Like if that's why I've never really run on road, I've always run trail, but my I run with my dogs and they, as long as I'm doing long, low and slow, I can do about 10 to 12. And that's what I'll do sometimes a good bit with them on the weekends or on my off days, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, I know I can do that. And in typical athlete fashion, we're like, if I can do that, I can just double it if I take it really easy, right? So three weeks before, so four weeks before the ultra, I decided I was going to do it. (laughs) And I was like, all right, so you need to, let's see if you can run for that long first. So I said, okay, let me try and do a trail marathon. So I went out, I went out in Charlotte to a place called ladder plantation and did a mock-up kind of thing like i got like a little transition bucket together and put it in my car and i was like i have to run all of these trails about twice to make it like 26 miles and i managed to do that in like seven hours and i did 10 burpees every mile because i was like you got to kind of simulate something for obstacles so i just did like 10 burpees every mile 
And I just focused on going slow and steady and just trying to keep a consistent pace. And uh, that felt okay. Like I was exhausted and a little sore the next day, but not as bad as I expected. So I was like, okay, I think you got this. I spend 12 to 15 hours on my feet at work every day. Mm. So I was like, just keep walking. Like anybody can walk for this long. That's what it's like. I mean, that's, and that's what I preach to everybody. It's about time on feet. It's not about the mileage. It's that you run every single weekend. It's about time on feet. And that was a great way to prepare for an ultra, you know, doing something every mile to break up the running like an obstacle, you know, doing the burpees. And then you actually had a simulation drop bin there to practice that. That That's great. That was a great idea. And that's, that's what I tell everybody, you know, that's planning on doing their first ultra, get that time on feet, go do your long run, whether it, it might only be an hour and then walk, you know, for a couple more hours with whatever gear you're planning on racing with. And, you know, and that getting that time on feet, you know, because some people, you know, that maybe have a desk job where they sit at a desk all day, this is going to hurt them way more than it is for people like, I mean, I don't, I don't even stand on my feet as, as long as you do. So, I mean, that's probably one reason that helped you do this race and you not come out of the back end of it feeling like shit and being sore all over because you're just used to, yeah, you're just used to standing on your feet all day. Yeah. And that was the whole thing is I was like, you know, you can just stand up all day. So like, just try, just try moving for that long. And like I said, I didn't even try to run fast or run hard. I was just like, just keep moving at a casual jog, Mm -hmm. which is what I did. And I was like, oh, no. And that really helped. So I tell, I tell people that mindset is pretty much everything too. Like you can't out mindset your body never walking, but mindset is everything and it was incredible uh even on that training run when i'm usually at 10 to 12 miles and i'm like "Ooh, everything's sore and i'm tired and i'm done and when i hit that point on my training run and i had already said hey this is how many miles you're doing today easy easy to breeze through it and just be like no we're good a little sore said we'd keep going so we're gonna keep going right on that sounds like you that it sounds like you prepared perfectly with only a month to go, you know, and that's, that's usually me is my last real big run that I will do that will be more than two hours. I'll do it a month out. I'm not going to do anything close to the race. That's more than two hours, you know, unless it's more than a month out for sure. So that sounds right, like that, that worked great. I feel like if you do that, then you're just going to exhaust yourself before the race. Because I think I was even telling my friend Molly recently, I was like, I feel like I have always performed my best in races when I've either done nothing or much less than I want to for the last week or so. And I think for a huge thing like an ultra a month off of long, long runs is definitely reasonable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you want to go into the race ready to run. And that's why, like, a lot of times the the week leading up to a race, like, I'm not going to go and do my normal hour run. I'll probably just go run a couple of miles, you know, and probably just, you know, maybe just work out the day in between, you know, just only run like maybe three days running, leading up to the race instead of running every day like I normally do. You know, I want to show up to the starting line feeling fresh and wanting to run you know what i mean 
Right. Like I slept, I rested, and now I want to race. I'm not tired of running this week. Nothing's sore. Nothing's trying to recover. Yeah. And you usually have to, me personally, I have to focus on getting that sleep the week leading up because I know I'm not going to sleep good the night before the race. One, because I always get up super early to eat breakfast three hours before the race. So I know that's gone through my system, you know. Same. And I have, I have a problem with stress nightmares. And I think that's just the perfectionist and the competitive side of me. I almost every night before a race, I have a nightmare that I don't wake up for my alarm or that I show up and I, my registration isn't there or something. And it's like, it's awful. And it's happened almost every night before. (laughs) This is so sad. Like, this is the worst thing that could happen to me ever is that I show up and miss my heat for this race. Oh, yeah. I, I feel you. I've had I've had nightmares like that, you know, but I've never had it the night before the race, though, which I guess was, which is an amazing thing, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do almost every single time. It's so pathetic. OK, so you you've it's it's race morning. What is your strategy, you know? going leading into the race um food is food is a huge thing for me so the first thing i do when i wake up is i try and eat the the best breakfast that i can like a full breakfast like i am i have a gluten sensitivity i found out this year so Mm. uh we don't do bagels anymore but we can do steel cut oats so like i will do oatmeals or gluten-free pancakes i will eat plenty of fruits I love eggs. I will eat fried eggs, scrambled eggs, things like that. But I will eat a full breakfast. Um, get ready. All of my stuff is always laid out the night before because I don't like scrambling for stuff in the morning. But then mm-hmm. I just get ready for my day, do a little bit of yoga, get excited. If I have, if this is a new race or an important race, I remind myself of my strategy and my game plan and. Uh, that's about it. I don't really have a whole fancy routine. So what was like your pacing strategy for the race? Like, you know, you're standing in the crowd. You I mean, did you have like a plan? I did. And so since I'd never really done this before, I didn't know quite what to expect. I just had my training run to go off of. And I was like, all right. So my goal is, uh, 18 minute miles for this whole ultra. And I was like, that seems fairly reasonable because an 18 minute mile, an 18 minute mile with obstacles, with fatigue, blah, blah, blah. If I can average an 18 minute mile, that should finish me out in about 10 hours. And that would also have to include transition time because I had planned on spending 10 to 15 minutes in transition, eating food, changing my socks and shoes, and doing a little bit of stretching, rolling out everything, tight, tight legs and whatnot. Um, and I ended up averaging like 15 minute miles, including my transition. Yeah, because your time was seven hours and 37 minutes. So you did a lot better than 10 hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that yeah. was, that was great. <laughs> like I started getting about, I got to transition and I got the last lap leader bib and Barnes handed it to me and I was like no freaking way and he was like yeah you're number 10 
So when number 11 comes up, you got to pass on the bib or you got to go one or the other. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I had no idea what female was next in line behind me. So like, I just start shoveling down peanut butter and honey. And I was like, the important thing is your socks and your shoes. So I stripped off my compression socks, which everybody knows is also an extreme sport. And I swapped out my socks, my shoes. I'm eating a little bit of food and I'm like trying to sit with my legs, like stretched out a little bit. And Barnes comes up and he's like, hey, number 11's coming. So are you ready to go? I was 0% ready to go. Um, But I like hauled all of my snacks and stuff up and like threw my hydration pack over one shoulder. And I was like, no, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I think I had a fit aid. I had brought a fit aid in my transition bucket. I had a fit aid in my hand and I'm like, I'm doing that stupid little jog that people do in a crosswalk when they're not going to walk any faster, but they want you to think they're moving. Right. Yeah. And I'm doing that with like my hydration pack on one (laughs) shoulder and I'm like, no, I'm leaving. I'm going now. I'm going right now. It turns out it was Annie who was coming up, who just jogs right through transition and like jogs up to me. And she's like, hey girl, like, no, you can't have that. (laughs) But, um, but speaking of people, Annie was like, super great of a person to have on this course with me because you know she's just so bright and happy all the time no matter what yeah you know there's a chance that might be brian's new stepmom right yeah no i was <laughs> wondering because i kept like i saw them together at that race and i've seen a handful of pictures with them together and i was like oh is that a thing we've been giving brian heck about it so have you? I'm, oh, I'm so yeah. Glad. Oh, yeah. We got this group text going and we've been busting Brian's balls about that's going to be his new stepmom all the time. It's I fun. love and that we, so much. We tease Annie about it, too. So. Well, I'm so glad that I was not like totally off when I was wondering that. I was like, am I being overly <laughs> sensitive or like they kind of close to each other right now? Yeah, they've been dating for a, quite a while now. So they've been running 5Ks together and stuff, too. They make a good couple. I saw that. No, I know. They are cute, though. They're really cute. I dig it. Okay. Hey, so you could do much worse for a stepmom than Annie. Absolutely. So tell us about this freaking picnic that you decided to have in transition. Now, what made you decide to change your socks and shoes? Do you think that that was something you had to do? Because that's something I always tell people not to do, you know, because normally, and at this race, <laughs> if you had, if you were wet coming in, at this in particular race, you didn't get wet for quite a while. So I guess I could see maybe you benefited a little bit for running with dry socks for a while, you know, but other than other than that, do you feel like that that was a necessity to do while you were there? I do, if for nothing else than like the mental aspect of it. So I did it during my training run. Um. And I don't remember if I had a real reason for it. I think I was originally thinking in my training run, hey, you know, you can get wet and muddy. Fresh socks would probably be great. So practice doing that. And it felt really good during the training run. So I was like, well, you got to do that in your race. You know, that's a for sure thing. And you're right. We didn't get wet. I think we did a couple of creek crossings, really. But like dunk wall was right before transition. Yeah. I mean, we had that one little, we had that one little plot creek that we had to run through, you know, but, and that was probably like halfway through the lap, if I remember right. Yeah. Like a good ways through there. So it wasn't really wet for that long, but, uh, I think it did because having fresh, clean socks on just made me feel better. 
Right. Like mentally, you're just like, I feel fresh. I feel clean. I feel ready to go. I put those on and I was like, am I a new person now? <laughs> I love well, this. It could have been that or the bib. I don't know. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably a little bit of both. And just when you come out of transition, I mean, especially, especially when you're doing an ultra where you only do the ultra loop on the first lap, you know, so it's just one big ultra loop, you know, and that way when you leave transition, you've already got about 17 miles in and you only got about, you know, 13 or 14 to do. So when you come out of transition in that ultra, you feel amazing because you know you are more than halfway done. Oh, I bet. So I, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I said I wanted to do a one and done to say that I had done it. But now between the really cool snake, uh, the snake medals. Yeah. And how much fun I really had at this and how good I really felt during and after I'm, I'm going to do ultras next year. And I hate, I already hate myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, it's just the, the ultras better. I mean, I mean, you're out there all day and that makes it more fun because what are you doing? You're doing a longer OCR race and that's what we enjoy doing is the race. And when you come across that fire jump, you know, that wasn't a guarantee because a lot more stuff can go wrong in an ultra. So when you go across that fire jump, it means so much more, you know, and there's yeah, just... I guess it kind of like, cause it like takes you back. Cause you're like, Hey, I remember when I really had to fight for every fire jump. And so Absolutely. I'm just back to, I don't, not that I wouldn't say I'm good enough to not feel like I'm fighting for it now, but it feels like you put in all that extra work and like you're brand new at something and really accomplishing something new again. It's, it was exciting. Yeah. And, and there's more science to it as well. You know, you've got to figure out what you're going to carry with you per lap. You know, nutrition is a way more important factor in the ultra than say, cause you can have, you can get away with under nutrition for like a super and a sprint, you know, it's a little more important than a beast, but you know, when it's something that you have to do, you know, it, there's just a little more science to it. And that just kind of makes it more of a, a thing to geek out on. And, and to me, that makes it, you know, more, more fun as well. And it's just, it's always cool in the ultra race when you see other people out there, you know, and you're on your second lap and it's, and people are out there for their first race and they're excited about, you know, getting their first buckle. It's just, it's got a special thing to it. And that's why, that's why I enjoy the, the ultra distance. Yeah, I agree. Like everything about it is exciting and it's fun and it's challenging. And yeah, seeing, seeing people out there doing it for their first time, even on my second lap, passing people that were doing their first beast and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like I chatted with a few people while I was running and like, it was exciting. Like it's exciting to see people out there, like overcoming their obstacles and like trying new things for the first time and like feeling that sense of accomplishment. Like that was, that was cool. I Rachel waters on my first lap, <laughs> Rachel waters was running the beast and she passed me like right before spear throw. Oh, wow. And like, yeah, we basically like low five. She kept running. I said, hey, she was out of breath because, of course, she's out there killing it. But like, right. yeah, she passed me. She passed me before I even finished my first lap. <laughs> Dang. But that was super cool, too. Getting to see her out there. Oh, yeah. It's it's cool, you know, especially on the on the second lap. You see more people out there and 
it's just more people to talk to. So it kind of, I usually will speak to everybody that I pass, you know, unless there's like a group or something and they're all talking to each other, you know, but it just yeah. it gives you a minute to talk to someone and get the race out of your mind, like how bad you're suffering at the moment, or if you have a nagging pain, or if you're really just hurting and you're wanting to walk, you know, just taking that five seconds to say, good job, man, you know, and, and when it totally respond, changes things. Yeah. And absolutely. then when people are cheering for you, like, they're like, Hey, good job. Ultra. And you're like, I can't walk. They're cheering <laughs> for me. You must run. Yeah. So did you know that you were, you know, first in your age group when you crossed the finish line? Absolutely not. No, you- I, uh, I knew I had gotten that, the very last bib at transition and Annie was number 11 and I still was fairly close to her for most of my second lap. Like I pulled ahead about halfway through my second lap, but I just assumed, I guess I didn't take into account either that the elite females were also part of those lap leaders. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed that there were, you know, nine other people ahead of me. Cause I was like, I don't think I've passed any other ultra females. So I just assumed there were nine other people and that there probably weren't that many other females in the age group heat to begin with. Cause I didn't remember seeing a whole bunch that morning. I knew Jana was out there somewhere. Like, I knew Janine was, and I Janine passed me in transition. Like she took off past me while I was eating, so I was like, "Well, I know she's out there ahead of me." I knew Annie was just behind me because I could hear her most of the time. <laughs> but no, I just assumed I was further back, and like my goal had been, I had a time goal. I didn't expect to make any kind of podium, so I was just like, oh, "You know, this is super cool, great accomplishment." So then you, you know, we always go check our check our placement check our time and I was like no freaking way dude like no freaking way at all that's pretty awesome so how how did you plan your fueling for the race did you have a thing like you were going to hit something every hour and what were you using oh man so I had I know that I love food I know that I need I personally need a lot of food through my day to feel comfortable I had no idea how much food I actually need. My training run was the first thing that showed me that. So for my training run, I said, why don't you just take, we're going to take some kind of fuel, like the kind of stuff that you eat for, you know, long runs or beast races and just have some of that every two miles. So that's what I did for the training run. So I had like mini kind bars, those little like granola, Mm -hmm. nut things. I had, I have Paleo Valley beef sticks, which are kind of like, um, kind of like all natural whole Slim Jims, things like that. Um, I had some Honey Stinger waffles and I had Honey Stinger and goo gels. And I was like, we're going to fuel every two miles. And that I think was a big part of what got me through the marathon trail training run so well, but I have never eaten that much during a race or a run ever i just estimated high because i was like well you need to prepare and so it shocked me how good i felt and how easily i put all of that stuff down plus stuff at transition so that's the same thing that i did on race day every two miles and i started more i did more solid foods in the first lap and at transition and more gels 
in the second lap just to make sure that I wouldn't have a whole bunch of solid foods on my stomach in the second lap and then have stomach cramps. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, every two miles, a honey stinger waffle, a granola bar, a, a, um, beef stick, something like that. And then I ate a whole bunch of, I had peanut butter and honey mixed together that I ate by the spoonful at transition. I had a small bag of sour cream and onion chips because I wanted something salty. I had a small thing of dark chocolate chips because I wanted sugar. Um, I had the Fit Aid. I had liquid IVs. I like I did liquid IVs probably every five miles through the whole race. Like I had packets of it with me that I dumped into a cup at water stations. Ooh, I bet that was strong. Oh, it was so strong, but I have definitely like I've dry scooped those liquid IVs in races before. Oh wow. I would have <laughs> But yeah, like I said, I just never realized how much food I could actually put down when I told myself I needed it and how how well it carried me. Yeah. Every two miles. It's a lot of food. Yeah. I was like, man, I can't afford to be an ultra runner. Like I already eat too much food. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of food. I think I, my, I my stomach would have turned if I'd ate that much food, I think. Yeah, it's like, I didn't know that I really could, but I ate that one. Then I ate the banana transition, like, and then I finished and I immediately had to go get food. And I, I ate almost frantically and obsessively for another probably 10 days after that race. Oh, yeah. I, always I was eat eating like about 3,500 to 4,000 calories a day for the next week and a half. Yeah, I always eat a ton of calories after a race. It doesn't matter if it's a sprint. I just like to eat. Because <laughs> even after that ultra, I felt nauseous and like I didn't want anything to eat. And my girlfriend was eating some of those island noodles. And I tried to take a bite of that. And it, it went down pretty easy. And I was like, yeah, go get me a cup of that. you know. And so I was able to eat that, which is really good because... It always seems like after the races, I just feel really nauseous and don't want to eat anything. But and that's not good because you need to eat something. So, yeah, no, that's awful. Mm. Yeah, I don't so, think. Yeah, I have hear plenty of people say that. I know my boyfriend. Like I've even tried to give him food gels and stuff on long runs before. He can't stomach those either. Yeah, I have been fortunate. I haven't found anything that really messes my stomach up like that. Like if it's food. My, my body accepts it willingly, happily. <laughs> so, so in Killington, year before last, my stomach totally turned on me at transition. And I couldn't um, keep anything down. And I tried to like squirt a gel down my mouth and like chase it with water. And I just threw it back up. And you know how like when you throw something up, it kind of ruins it for you? Like, yeah, for sure. I, man, those gels... I just, I can't do them anymore, you know. Never again, huh? <laughs> I can't. I mean, I've, I, I've, I had to change brands because that just, it just ruined that brand for me. And I hate that because I really, I really like that brand because it was, it was more liquid than gel and it went down really easy. But, you know, that at least that flavor for sure, I, I can't, yeah. I can't do yeah, it. Yeah. You can never take that taste again because once it comes up, like, oh man, it's, yeah, it's really it is bad. I remember one time, like I went to a Mexican restaurant and just ate a ton of salsa and chips. And I guess I had like a stomach bug or something, you know, and I threw up salsa and chips. That is not fun to come back up because oh, it's like God, it no. reactivates all those jalapenos or whatever. Uh-huh. And it, it kind of burns. Yeah. And like, yeah, 
No, and that taste just sticks with you because it's so acidic. Oh god, that was it was that was not a good throw up for sure. Oh, that's awful. I know when you I was young, I did the that. same thing with I did the same thing with sushi. I didn't eat sushi for like five years. Oh yeah, I'm, I, I was can like, imagine oh. that'd be pretty bad coming back up. Yep, and I yeah. mean, probably wasn't even the sushi, but like, you're not gonna let it go. Yeah, any but. seafood I would think would be a bad throw up. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. fun. So, um, when you cross the finish line, you know, is your first ultra. You, you knew you did well. You didn't know you were on the podium, and yeah. you, you crushed your predicted time by what two and a half hours. How yeah, did how, how did that feel coming across that finish line? That was was another one of those incredible feelings, and like every finish line is great in some way, but that accomplishment you you knew you had just done the hardest thing you've ever done the furthest distance you've ever done and on top of that in an obstacle course race not even just a trail race again like you said like I knew I had done I knew I had done pretty well I knew I had crushed the mileage goal or the time goal that I set for myself I was still feeling good and I was like this best day ever where's the food (laughs) and then I was also I realized um as achy and tired as my legs were, I was like, I want nothing more than to sit down. And at the same time, I couldn't sit down. I was like, if you sit down, I feel like everything's just going to lock up and you're never going to stand up again. So like I had on my flip flops and I just, I shuffled around the festival area for like an hour and a half. I was totally sitting down at that point because when I finished that race, all I wanted to do was sit down, you know, I was tired. (laughs) Yeah. And I was tired, but I was scared that if I sat down, I would never get back up again. And that I drove there myself and it was an hour away from my house. And I was like, if you lock up, you can't get home. Yeah. I mean, I totally was cramping and locking up. So that that goes, I I probably shouldn't have sat down as much as I did. I went into that, the Spartan, it wasn't like a Spartan plus tent or maybe it was. And they had some of the boots in there, kind of like Norma tech boots, but it was like some other commercial brand. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to get this and sit down. And I sat there for, I think like 30 minutes in those boots. And when I tried to get up from that chair, my calf locked up on me so bad the guy come over there and just started massaging my calf out because it was bad that was a bad calf cramp i'm glad it didn't oh no yeah good times well that was something i was scared of because when i do beast races and of course in beast races you can push harder you can run faster you can Mm -hmm. run harder and uh i usually end up cramping at some point during a beast race so i was prepared and super anxious about that so i don't know if it was maybe just the lower slower pace the whole time or if it was the excessive fueling maybe. that helped me out i'm gonna have to experiment and find out for sure so that i can be more successful in beast races next year but uh i was extremely pleased to have made it through without a significant cramp i'm surprised and i'm not not dissing on you for changing your socks and your shoes but you said you pulled off compression socks and you're you're lucky you didn't calf cramp doing that because i know a bunch when i used to wear those at the end of a race when you'd go to pull them off that'd be the time when your calf would try to cramp on you for sure when it goes i thought about that too when i was doing it and i was like oh this is about to suck but like in my head 
I was just like, you, you got to do it because they're wet and they're gross and you're going to get a blister and your toe is going to be worn all the way through by the end of this if you don't. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell somebody who is listening to this and they're saying, I don't think I can do an ultra? Anybody can do an ultra. That's what <laughs> I tell people that about any OCR when I'm trying to get them to try their first one with me. Um, I think anybody has the potential to do an ultra. If you've ever thought about it, if you ever think you want to do it, you can absolutely do it. Um, anybody can walk 32 miles. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. You just got to keep moving. More hearts and have scars did one. Yeah. Yeah. They were out there doing it and I'm pretty sure they walked most of it and they finished yep. it, but it's, it's all about that time on feet. They were out there a long time. So yep. it's one of those things. It's just like you said, you know, you, you have to know you can be on your feet and you have to know you can walk. And that's why I always tell everybody, go do your long run, then go put on like a backpack. It's got some food in it and some water, and then just go walk another hike after you've done your long run, just to get that time on feet, you know? get prepared for it so that's what it's about exactly just try moving for that long but if you're somebody that is pretty active in your daily life like just go out there for a whole day Uh, i am also a backpacker so i was like well you know you can walk decent distances with a weight on your back so i was like this is just going to be a little bit longer it's going to be harder effort but i mean if i just wanted to get it done to just finish it if i were a first time ultra runner who did not race at all. Otherwise you could absolutely walk that. Yeah. I think so. That was, that would have been, that would have been a good course to, uh, you know, try to power walk for sure. That one in Fayetteville, I think both of those would be good courses for that. Absolutely. Yep. And I think Newberry was perfect because it was mostly flat and the weather was perfect. The only thing I can see with Fayetteville is because it's in the warmer months. Hmm. I think the heat takes a lot out of you too. Yeah, it does. And you get out of the shade uh, a few times at that race. So you'll be in the middle of the sun for sure. Yeah. Cause I do the beast race out there usually. And that's uh that heat can be pretty brutal depending on how the day ends up going. Well, now you're going to have to do the ultra there. No, that's what I said. I already said that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I need that sweet snake buckle. Hell yeah. Isn't it awesome? I'm looking forward to the snake medals next year sure it looks so cool yeah um so did you have any low points during the race where you were like this is stupid why am i doing this or did you get any bad aches and pains what was the low points of the race to you mentally this might have been one of the best long distance races i've done because i have never considered myself a long distance person i get bored i get tired i get down I get achy and then I'm miserable at some point in a beast. I'm usually like, this isn't fun anymore. This is just getting it done. I did not have that point in this ultra. And I, I was conscious about it because I was like, if you start getting negative, this is going to be a really miserable trip out here. So I kept busy talking to people. I was singing. I was actually, I think I was hallucinating a little bit. Nice. I was singing on course at one point. Some guy was like, do you know Taylor Swift? And then I spent like two miles trying to remember the words to a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> so, I mean, I was keeping busy like that. But uh, mentally, no. I felt great the whole time. Part of that was by choice. Um, 
had some aches and pains for sure. Nothing cramped severely, but uh, my quads and my calves, of course, got like those little, those little ripples, like when something's about to lock up and I was mm. like, oh man, don't do it. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. And when that happens, it's one of those things where you kind of have to slow down a little bit to keep mm-hmm. it from happening. And yeah, you can't push through that. Yeah, absolutely not. And that was tough for me in that race because I was trying to push hard. And when we got to that section at the end where you had the service roads, where you could kind of open up a little bit, I was trying my best to do that. But every time I would try to go a little faster, it would like, I could feel my calf was like saying, Whoa, you better back off. Make it easy. And like the last frustrating. Yes. The last gauntlet, like when I went into uh, the rolling mud, like my calf locked up, you know, going on the Hercules hoist was probably when it was the worst. It seemed like every time I would pull that bag up, my calf would like cramp on me. And I was like, what is going on? You know? Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. And we were, I was trying to fight through it. And there was a couple other guys that we were all right there together. And so I, they weren't in my age group, but I mean, still, I mean, we were all trying to, you know, cross the line first. So we were all kind of suffering through it all, I think, because all of us, I think we're cramping right there at the end. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't matter for us at age groupers. It really doesn't even matter at one point. It's just, you know, we're all going to get through this together, but you are female and I have to pass you. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I got to go. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm pretty much out of questions, but I always ask everybody the same questions when they come on the show. And to this day, what's been your most favorite race and why? Oh, wow. No, that's a good question. And you may have already answered it or told us about it. I, man. When it comes to mind, it's probably Charleston because of making that overall podium, that accomplishment that was associated with it. Remembering Mm -hmm. how good I felt while racing that event, how strong my body felt, how good it turned out. Like that's got to be one of my favorite feelings. So yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Savage Race in Charleston. (laughs) Okay. So now I want the opposite of that question. What's been your least favorite race or the race you hated? 2019. (laughs) (laughs) done that's no question whatsoever i got stage two hypothermia um sounds like you weren't running fast enough i wasn't i was (laughs) i was creeping i thought i tore my calf muscle because at one point my leg had locked up so bad i couldn't move it and i like hooked it around i was sitting which was my first problem i hooked it around like a tree trunk and I like pounded my leg out to straighten it so that I could stand up to go down this hill. And I was like, I bet you just tore something really important because I didn't feel good at all. Hmm. Couldn't, you speak, know- couldn't tell my name in medical when I crossed the finish line. They were like, what's your name? <laughs> uh, so you did finish. So there you go. You know? Finish. You it took your- me five and a half hours. I was in open. This was like. Yeah, it was early on in my racing career. I had no idea how to dress. I'm not good in the cold anyway. I hate rain. Ooh, me too. I hate rain. I don't know how many people that I talk to. I mean, so here's the thing. 
like in my day-to-day life, I hate the rain. But if it's going to rain during an OCR race, I don't hate it so much because I'm prepared to be wet, you know, because that's just part of it. But like day-to-day life, I hate the rain. Yeah, I don't want the rain to fall on me. It's like that feeling of rain falling on you is like a thousand little bugs bumping into you as they fly around. And it's tiny irritations that happen on a massive scale. I hate being wet and it's gross. Like being outside in OCR, that's whatever. Like I was going to be wet anyway. I want to choose when I'm going to be wet. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh, exactly. I want to choose that. I don't want the, you know, the earth to to decide that, you know. (laughs) You know, so yep, I agree. You know, so and and I don't know how many times people say, "Well, I love to hear the rain on the rooftop and be in the house and take a nap." I I don't care for that. I don't like it. It reminds me of stuff leaking. You know, I used to skateboard. <laughs> you couldn't skateboard when it was raining. I've always had a jeep and rag tops leak, and you know, it's always been something. I've rode oh, motorcycles. It's race. no fun to ride motorcycles when you race. And now I work maintenance for a hospital, and oh no, there are no buildings with flat roofs that don't have a leak. I'm sorry, and so we have to change ceiling tiles because of all these leaks. So no, I don't like the rain at all. Nope, exactly. Like I'm an outside person. I want to be out there. You can't be out there when it's raining. I've always had ridden horses. They get problems with their feet standing out in the pasture. You can't ride them when it's raining. No, this is terrible. Yeah. No. See, I, I knew I liked you for some reason. Here it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you would be amazed how many people will say that that was the race they didn't like was 2019 and try. I actually would not because literally every race I've ever been to, you can start talking about that on course and somebody will bring up try on. Mm-hmm. It would not surprise me to know every person in OCR hated that race, whether they were there or not. But see, I'm, I'm, I'm different in this opinion because I was preparing for that ultra to be my ultra of the year. So it was Mm. an, it was an a race for me in training. And I had this mentality to where, you know, let's go. I'm, I'm ready. And we were in that starting, we were in that starting corral and it started to sprinkle on us and it rained until the next day. So there, there was no break in the weather it was all day and you know i was running the ultra there and me and brian we were running we 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 were pretty much tit for tat for we come out of transition together and i think we got broken up between a crowd going downhill right there at the beginning and then when i was coming out of the ultra loop i think i saw him going in and he uh that was one of his only DNFs in a Spartan race. And I think he made it to like mile 29 or mile 30. Oh, wow. I know that had to hurt. Oh, well, no. he, was, he was hypothermic and like just curled up on the side of the trail and shivering. Yeah. So, yeah. That's how a lot of people were that day. That was a bad day for old Brian Beal. Yeah, but kudos to you guys being out there doing that ultra. I know I w- if I, d- I wish I would have known that he was at that point because 
I would have been like, no, you're not quitting. Let's go. Come on. And I would have just walked beside him to finish up. Right. The, the rest we'll of just the finish week. it together. Yeah. But that was, man, that was a rough day. I remember the second lap going under the barbed wire and coming to the dunk wall. And like you could swim under the barbed wire at that point. And they ended up closing that before the day was over. But I got yeah. to do it before they closed it. I heard about that, but I definitely had to do it on my beast course before they closed it. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was mad later. Like I get it because I guess other people didn't need to die on the course, but I was like, no, no, I did it. I did all these things. Why don't they have to? Yeah. And so when I finished the race, I was going to, I wasn't, there, there was, I mean, there was no reason in showering off because it was just pouring down rain. So I was yep. like, well, I'm just going to go and towel off this mud the best I can in the changing tent. And when you walked into the changing tent, it was like shoulder to shoulder in there because everybody was in there trying to get warm. And yeah. Cause like, they had the heaters blowing in there. And that was the only place there were heaters that it was dry. Yeah. And I was like, well, screw this. So my, my buddy's truck's got a camper top on the back of it. So I literally just got in the bed of his truck and just changed clothes back there and toweled off everything the best I could. And this was one race where I knew that the weather was going to suck. I brought rain boots and I brought a huge like golf umbrella and like, cause I, it was my girlfriend's first ultra as well. So I had to wait for her to finish and I was waiting on, uh, Michael to finish as well too. So I was like totally warm at this point, dry. I was just walking around with my umbrella, enjoying watching everybody suffer at that point. <laughs> enjoying the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's everybody's got some crazy memories from that event. Yeah, but that was one of those. Oh man, that hurts my heart. But you got to think about it. Like, how many people have suffered through a beast like that? since that race there probably hasn't been a lot i know new jersey's had some tough beast with some bad weather but that was probably one of the most memorable uh beast or ultra races you know on the east coast for sure i think so for sure yeah <laughs> so all right jessica i'm out of questions uh is there anything you want to add to this where people can follow you on instagram or you want to Thank you, anybody. Got any sponsors or anything like that? Oh, man. I I don't think so, necessarily. I mean, anybody that wants to follow me on Instagram, um, if you don't, it's Panda Bear Adventures. All one word. But it's missing the first A. So it's P-N-D-A. But everything else is spelled the same. I, uh I mix a lot of my extracurricular modeling stuff as well as all of my adventure photos. So I, uh, it's a little bit of a grab bag on whatever you may find on there, honestly. But yeah, yeah that's about the only place that I post anything interesting whenever I do. Yeah. You've got that one picture where you're like, you're on your horse and you're jumping, like, looks like a homemade jump, you know, that you made. But what was amazing about that picture was, and when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, that she isn't even on a saddle. You didn't have reins. You were just holding that horse by the mane. That was pretty, that was amazing. Oh yeah. And that was, that was my horse that I actually ended up, I lost him last year to a cancerous mass, but uh, oh, man. That we had a very good, we had a good bond. I sold my saddle for a tuition payment in college in Auburn 
and I never bought another one. So I actually rode him in some local barrel races and some local cutting shows. So like cattle cutting, like ranch horse work. Bareback? Um, bareback, because I never bought a saddle. And so oh, I could never shit. compete at a higher level without it. But I was like, when I signed up for local events, I would be like, can I can I ride without a saddle? And people looked at me dumb and I'm like, look, I've been poor a long time, okay? <laughs> but I don't know that I remember how to put a saddle on anymore. <laughs> And I think my horse would try and buck me off if I did. Holy shit. Were you competitive at barrel racing without a saddle? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah, you spend That's enough amazing. time riding a horse bareback. Like, I mean, you just stick to them. Holy shit. You probably could have been a professional with a saddle if you were doing it bareback without one. I still don't know if I could put a saddle on a horse properly anymore, man. Like, yeah. when I ride at my barn owner's place, she's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, every single one of her horses I take out, I tried to put a saddle on her Appaloosa stud the other day. And I was like, man, I think I'm tying this right. I got on, my feet were like all over the place. I don't know how to hold this horse. I don't know how to cue him. Like, or I feel disconnected from my heels. I took that saddle off 10 minutes. And I was like, I don't even know how to do it anymore. So if anybody doesn't know what barrel racing is, YouTube that video and just see what these girls do when they run barrels and just imagine doing that without a saddle. That is amazing. I can't believe you do, you were doing that without <laughs> a saddle. That's amazing. That's amazing to me. No, I, it's just practice. It's like anything else, man. You just gotta, you gotta do it a lot and you gotta fall off a good bit too. I broke my neck riding my horse in college one time. You broke your neck? Yeah, uh, I was racing him bareback with a friend of mine, and he threw like one good buck, and I fell and I hit head first with no helmet on because I was nineteen. And, Holy uh, shit! I they told me I should have died. I put a hairline fracture in my C two vertebra, and I didn't even know. I stood back up and I walked back to the barn. I'd broken, I'd cracked a vertebra. I broke my, one of my ribs and I broke my shin. Holy crap! And I didn't know. I was a college student and I was poor. So uh, I just went about my daily life. I figured I'd broken the rib because I couldn't breathe, couldn't cough, couldn't raise my arm. And three months later, I went to a chiropractor when I visited my mom. And he was like, oh, you've got this bony protrusion right here. Do you have headaches? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. So he's like, I'd like to take an x-ray first. And you could actually see the callus formation where it had healed. And he was like, you broke your neck. Have you had any head injuries recently? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have. I never knew. Holy shit, Jessica, you're a tough bitch. It was wild. Like, I I mean, literally, it was like a Christopher Reeves kind of moment because if it had been, my head had been turned, if I'd hit any harder, if I'd turned my body at all, I would never have stood up. I probably would have been like laying on the ground crying after I fell off the horse and be like, there's something wrong with my neck. I know it. <laughs> and you just get well, up and no. walk the horse back to the barn and just... Go about your daily life like anything's going no, on. No, 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 no. My horse walked himself back to the barn. I walked <laughs> back to the barn after him. <laughs> the, the horse was he like, this is me. stupid. Forget you. <laughs> yeah, he was like, weak. What do you got? And he left me. And he was like, yeah, come back later. Yeah. Show you for riding me without a saddle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If that was my horse. He was like, man, if you can't stay with me, like, I'm just going to leave you behind. Like, yeah. if you dropped me. That was it. I was done. And the horse was like, that was embarrassing for both of us. Peace. Exactly. He's like, don't get back on me again, please. <laughs> Everybody's watching. 
So do you still like have problems like from that injury? Like, do you, do you have neck pain every once in a while or? Not in, well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. So I never know. Like I said, I didn't even know it had really happened. I had headaches, but I was a 19 year old college kid, you know, doing dumb stuff. So like, who knows? Did you drink too much? Did you stay up late? Hmm. Like, did you sleep wrong? Did you sleep not nearly enough? I got I have, horse. Yeah. And I've got, <laughs> I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was a kid and had back problems for most of my life anyway. So I've broken my tailbone twice. Jesus. Like, I, you know, I've had a slipped disc from nothing important. So the little the pains and stuff that I have here and there, it's never been anything. It hasn't been anything super severe in probably the last 10 years, but like, I don't know what's from you know, overuse yeah. injuries or tweaking something during training or like I do rock climbing. So I fall a lot. Like maybe you're jarring something. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's my broken neck. Maybe it's me falling off the stuff. Who knows? Dang. I'm going to be 32 next month. Like people are like, Hey, your body's going to start hurting. And I'm like, start. Yeah. God, this is going to be rough. I think my body started hurting when I finally started working for a living, you know, and you were on your feet all day. And like for <laughs> yeah. the, the first eight years of my working career, I was working in a factory on concrete floors with metal tarsal steel toe boots on. And I, I bet this, everything in your lower body was wrecked. Oh my God. It was, it was awful just walking in those boots for eight hours. And I don't know how many different pairs I tried. There wasn't a pair that was comfortable. They all sucked. Oh, I hated yeah. it. I mean, they're so heavy and they're so stiff, and nothing about them leaves you natural movement. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was the worst. And like the thought of exercising when I got off of work, then uh, it was not happening. I'm so glad I don't work maintenance in factories anymore. Oh yeah, that sounds awful. Uh, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Well, Jessica, I've held you up way more than an hour, but I've enjoyed talking to you. And uh, what do you, what are your plans for uh, 2024? Uh, maybe run a couple of ultras, but I want to try and qualify for Team USA again next year. I heard that the next World Obstacle Championship is going to be in Costa Rica. So I want to make it to that. That sounds like that a cool a place to have a race. No, I don't think it was a secret. Maybe they said no, something. They already something. they already announced it. I want to say Matt talked to somebody about that on an obstacle racing media. Oh, thank God. I was like, I probably just ruined it. That's it. I'm no, black, I, I th that information's been out for quite a while now, I think. Okay, I knew, great. I, I'll lose I knew, track sometime. I, I knew that as well. How do you qualify for it? Do you know that? So they have an application process. I don't oh, know okay. if the application is going to be the same this year. They were pretty transparent about how it's ranked, but it's a numerical system based on your placement and your races, um, pro series, elite series mm. of Spartan and Savage are weighted heavier than non-series races. Of course, mandatory completion, mandatory completion races, I think maybe weighted a little bit more. They had a whole chart for how things were scored. Right. Um, but basically it was, you had to put in an application, the races you wanted considered blah 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 uh, yeah. i heard that they were anonymous so like they could probably have looked it up but like your name and identifying information is taken out of it okay so if they keep it the same i just have to do good events and place well enough at those events to qualify again right on um you gonna go to jacksonville at the beginning of the year 
Yeah, I think so, because I just saw those uh, National Series medals today. Yeah, it's a pretty medal, too. They look good. I'm probably going to be there for the Super, but I'm probably not going to be able to do the Sprint, so I'll miss oh, out no. I'll miss out on that medal. But I'm just happy to be able to make it to Jacksonville for at least one race this year, so that'd be cool. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> well, hey, Jessica, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit and chat with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Jessica again for taking time to talk to us. It sounds like she's got the ultra bug. It's easy to get. And if you're thinking about doing your first race, do exactly like we said. Just sign up. Start working on your long run. You know, if your long run's an hour, go run an hour. Then put on a camelback with some food and some water in it. And just go on a long hike after that. And just work on making that longer and longer and getting those time on feet. And I promise you, when you do your first ultra, pick a flat one like Fayetteville, Newberry, or Dallas, you won't regret it because it's such an awesome feeling finishing your first ultra. Um, Newberry was a great race. Uh, I underestimated it because the ground cover was crazy on, on the first lap, just tons of leaves all over the course it uh fall was in full force there were some sections of the course where it was just snow and leaves you know it was really coming down but the second lap was so much better there was a beaten down path you could really cruise with not having to worry about your footing so much it was a fun race great venue um i managed first in my age group and that was that was a great feeling because i was pretty sure i was in my first place in my age group when I crossed the finish line. So it was a great feeling to uh, finally place first in my age group this year because it was something I hadn't been able to do all year. Um, the 40 to 44 age group has been really tough this year. It's really strong field. And it's my last year in 40 to 44. I move up to 45 next year. And uh, it's going to be tough in that age group too. Uh, my time would have been good for third place in that age group at Newberry, which uh, hurts my feelings because I don't think I could have saved any time at Newberry this year. I was in transition two minutes, and I feel like that was a long time. I failed my spear on both laps. But besides that, as far as my running went, I honestly doubt I could have cut a minute off of my time with running. I was pushing pretty hard. Um, I still didn't, I didn't run with any water, so I was having to stop at the water stations. So that took time, but, um, I just don't like running with water. So to me right now, that's kind of a necessary evil. I may, I don't know. I may try to run with a hydration vest, maybe at one ultra, uh, next year, maybe see if maybe that's something I like to do. I just hate feeling that water bouncing on me the whole time. It's like you just can't, you just feel it every step and it, it just gets old. But anyway, uh, I have an idea for another episode I'm going to do before the end of the year. Um, so hopefully I'll do that. But if not, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And I hope everybody has a great Christmas. If you don't hear from me before then, but hopefully you will. But uh, that's all I got. I don't have any races coming up until my first OCR race will be Jacksonville. I'm planning on being there for the super. So um, we'll see you at that race. Peace.